invite you to turn to the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking at John 3.16. You know, if you were to talk to a um, person who is seeking Christ, you want to talk to them about the love of God. We've lit the shepherd's candle, which is about love. Where would you have someone read in the Bible if you want to talk about the love of God? I want to suggest to you that John's gospel would be a great place to go because John, the beloved disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, has this amazing personal relationship with his Savior, and he wants us to know about this person. He presents Jesus as God, the Word, the living Word of God. We have the written Word here. And so in John's gospel, he teaches us about the, the person of Jesus Christ. And so as we look at John's gospel, if you just had to pick one chapter to talk about the love of God that was personalized through an individual, and here we'll see Nicodemus, it would be John chapter 3, wouldn't it? And if you were just to pick one verse out of that one chapter that is the clearest explanation of what God has done in our response to simply believe and receive that free gift of salvation, what verse would it be? John 3.16, it's the verse you see at football games, guys hold up signs, and I want to thank Ford Madison. He taught on this verse, John 3.16, when we had our Al's Christmas gathering, and uh, it's very powerful. So Ford, is it okay if I teach on this too today? Okay, I got Ford's blessing here, so... We'll uh, look at John 3.16, for God so loved the world. I want to begin by thanking someone whom has loved me well, that uh, God has uh, used in my life, and that's my wife. You know, people are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, and none has uh, touched me more than my wife. And this past week, on 12-12-12, we celebrated 25 years of marriage. Yeah. How about that? So, Susan, thank you for putting up with me and for loving me so well. She said, you're welcome. Uh, we renewed our vows. Brian renewed our vows. It was, it was very powerful. By the way, uh, how about that? Have we changed much? Uh, there we were 25 years ago. But uh, we renewed our vows, and it was, it was very powerful to renew the covenant of marriage with my spouse. Um, tears were shed. Someone who was in attendance, it was a small ceremony, who knows me well, said, Brad, I think Susan was crying because she just committed to 25 more years of putting up with you. So maybe that's what happened. But I, I do thank God for you, Susan. So as we look at the Gospel of John, uh, as I mentioned, we need to contextualize this and, and to consider who wrote it. John wrote this book, wrote this gospel. He also wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, these three epistles. But he writes this book from personal knowledge, a personal understanding, a personal relationship that he has with God, the Son of God the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. 
It's interesting how he refers to himself, and as we're talking about love, that he was the beloved disciple. And somehow, some way, God saw something very special in John, and John had the privilege to be in a very intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And the 12 disciples, there were the three, Peter, James, and John, that Jesus poured himself into. And God would use these men to go on and lead the church after Christ was ascended. And we have Pentecost and the birth of the church. So John is the beloved disciple. What a title. He's the recipient of God's love. One of the key words, in fact, I would argue the key word in John is the word believe. It occurs 98 times. It's the word pistuo, believe, to trust, to have confidence in. It's our response to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to believe, to accept his free gift. To say it another way in chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as received him, as many as received Christ, to them he gives the right or the authority to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Who is John writing to? Who is his audience? As we look at the Gospels, Matthew writes to the Jews. Mark writes to the Romans. Luke writes to the Greeks. Who does John write to? He writes to everyone. For God so loved the world. And that's the beauty of John. I love the Gospel of John. I've had the privilege of preaching through it and teaching through it. I love the simplicity, but the depth, the power, the symbolism, the seven I am's. There's so much in John's gospel because he wants us to understand who this man is that's fully God and fully man that he knows as the beloved disciple. And so he presents to us the person of Christ. John chapter one, verse 14, the word became flesh and blood This is um, from the message, the word became flesh and blood, Eugene Peterson Wright, and he moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, the father like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. And so John presents to us Jesus Christ, who he knew, had a relationship with, and he describes to us that he's fully God and fully man. In John 1.18, that Jesus has exegeted, he has explained God. And we keep reading and we see that he was there and he watched as uh, Jesus was baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist, who said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We see Jesus calling his disciples to himself to come and follow me. We see Jesus performing his first miracle in chapter 2 in Cana, turning the water into wine. And we keep reading, and that gets us to the context of where we are in chapter 2, verse 13. Jesus comes to Jerusalem. He's at the first Passover. And he walks into the temple, and he casts out the money changers. Because my house, God's house, is to be a house of prayer. And now in chapter 3, we see John do something very amazing. 
Because he wants us to know that God not only loves the world, but he loves us individually. And we see the first of several individual dialogues between Jesus and individual people. We see Nicodemus in chapter 3. We see the Samaritan woman in chapter 4, the adulterous woman who'd had five husbands. We see on into chapter 4, the nobleman whose son was dying and Jesus healed his son. And we see these dialogues and it brings about the personal nature that God has because God's plan is not to save us in the group plan. It's an individual relationship that he desires to have with each and every one of us. And so Nicodemus in chapter 3 represents an individual who's coming and seeking to know who is this man. There may be some of you here this morning or some who are listening to this message who are seeking to know who is this man, looking for answers in life, looking for meaning, looking for purpose. Jesus wants to reveal himself to us. That's why he came, to seek and to save that which is lost, the Son of Man, the Savior. That's why we celebrate Christmas, to remind us that God became flesh and was born in a manger, God in an earth suit. So we pick up the story in chapter 3. And before we get there, uh, I once was sent a Christmas card. There were many men who would be God, but only one God who would be man. It's pretty good, isn't it? And that's who Christ is. There's only one God who would be man. So who is Nicodemus? Chapter 3, verse 1. And in verse 10, we're going to read about this man. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jew. So Nicodemus, the word Nicodemus contains Nike. You familiar with Nike? May have some Nike shoes. It means victorious. Nicodemus means victorious or conqueror of the people. Here's a man of prestige. He was a man of the Pharisees. What do you know about the Pharisees? How did Jesus get along with the Pharisees? There's usually conflict because they represent they represented religious Israel. They represented rule-keeping religion, where they had elevated the, the law of God to a practice of keeping the law, all 618, and pridefully, they felt like that would earn them a right standing before God. And the Pharisees, along with the Sadducees, made up the ruling council of Jerusalem, the Sanhedrin, and probably Nicodemus was a part of that group. He was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews, one of the the 70. This is like our Supreme Court. They ruled most powerfully and most influentially on issues of religion and politics and government. So here's a guy, extremely influential, who knew the word of God. Look at verse 10. In this dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus, Jesus said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Not a teacher. Are you the teacher of Israel? We don't know for sure, but maybe Nicodemus was the spokesman. He was the big enchilada of all these guys who knew more than any of them and was the teacher. 
to talk about what the law of God said, what the precepts of God's word, and how to understand them and, and how to apply them. So this is who he is. He comes seeking Jesus Christ. Why did he come? Why did this man who was the teacher of Israel, who probably knew more about the law and was the cream of the crop of law-keeping religion, why did he come to Jesus? Because he had a need, just like you and me. In verse 2, we read, This man, Nicodemus, came to him, came to Christ by night, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nick came to Jesus by night, Nick at night, came to him, seeking him. And by the way, why did he come at night? There's been a lot of speculation on this. We don't really know. Possibly, if you look at the dialogue of why he came, he wanted to come in private. He wanted to come when he could have some alone time with Jesus. And probably at a time when the other religious leaders wouldn't even know about it. One-on-one. Jesus, we need to have a talk. I need to figure out who you are. He calls him rabbi, teacher, term of respect, term of honor. And so most of the Pharisees Jesus butted heads with, you know, you brood of vipers, you whitewashed tombs. Nicodemus, God was working on this man's heart. He's not a typical Pharisee. So he's coming to Jesus. He's seeking to Jesus. He calls him rabbi, term of respect. He recognizes, he says, we know that you've come from God. Many of the Pharisees were accusing that he was from Satan. We know that you've come from God as a teacher. Notice he doesn't call him Messiah. At this point, he's just thinking he's a teacher, a rabbi who's doing some miracles. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. He's trying to figure this out. He's asking the question, Jesus, who are you? Jesus, are you real? Are you just a man? You're doing some amazing things here. Haven't we all been at that point when we come and we're seeking Jesus and we're seeking God and we're trying to figure some things out? That's Nicodemus. Comes seeking God. Comes seeking Christ. So why did he come? Well, Jesus, in answering Nicodemus, the story takes a twist here. Instead of answering Nicodemus's question, he goes right to the heart of Nicodemus's need. Look at verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly. Now, whenever you see this in John, you need to mark it. You need to say, okay, something important is about to come. You know, at the end of our prayers, we say amen. That's the word here. Amen. Truly, truly. Verily, verily. Three times in our passage, Jesus is going to say this. Truly, truly, Nicodemus. And he's saying to us, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Wow. Did Nicodemus ask that question? Why did Jesus go there? Nicodemus was just coming to him, trying to figure out if he was a teacher from God, who he really was. And Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. Why? Look at chapter 1, verse 25. I'm sorry, two, chapter 2, verse right before we get to Nicodemus. For Jesus, he himself, knew what was in man. Jesus knew what was in Nicodemus, and he knows what's in us. What's in us? We're born dead in our trespasses and sins, as Paul talks about. We need a Savior. 
We need to be rescued from our sin and delivered, as John talks about, light and darkness from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. Jesus recognized Nicodemus' greatest need and our greatest need at the core of our being is there's a God-shaped vacuum in our heart that can only be filled with the person of Jesus Christ. We need eternal life. That's what he says. I say to you, Nicodemus, and he's saying to us again, unless one, that's plural, unless anyone is born again, or you could be translated born from above, he cannot see or he cannot apprehend, he cannot experience the kingdom of God. Cannot experience a relationship with an eternal God and spend and, and experience eternal life. We must be born again. So now Nicodemus responds to him. And he asked a question that many of us may have asked in verse 4. I just love this dialogue back and forth between Jesus and Nicodemus. And Jesus said to him, or Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Apparently, Nicodemus was. Uh, farther along in age. How can he be born when he is old? He cannot enter, enter in a second time in his mother's womb and be born, can he? So ask the question, he's thinking physical birth. Jesus, what are you talking about here? How can I go back into mama's womb and be born a second time? So Jesus clarifies. Verse five has really been misunderstood and it is a difficult phrase to interpret, but Realize, whatever he's about to say, he's explaining what it means to be born again. He's just told him, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now he's going to use an illustration. Jesus answered. Here it is again. Truly, truly, listen up. This is important. I say to you, and he says to us, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So what does that mean to be born of the water and the Spirit? A lot of theories on this. Some say you have to have water baptism is a part of the salvation experience. I believe what Jesus is saying here is, again, he's explaining what it means to be born again. And if you look at the Old Testament about the movement of the Spirit, it would come when God's Spirit moves, bringing about purification. And water is symbolic of the purification and the forgiveness of sins. And so what Jesus is saying is that we're dead in our sins. We must be born a second time. There must be a spiritual birth. And when that spiritual birth takes place, we experience the water and the Spirit because our sins are forgiven. We're born again. We're born a second time. And that qualifies us to receive that free gift of eternal life and to become part of the family of God, to be declared righteous and to be able to enter into the kingdom of God. He goes on to explain this in verse 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. So we're born physically. That which is born of flesh, we're born physically. But we're also born dead in our sins. We must be reborn. With Our spirit needs to be born again. Verse 7, he says, Nicodemus, do not marvel. Don't be amazed at what I say to you. Now, he, this, is in, this is singular. He's talking to him in the Greek text. It's the singular, one-on-one, just as he speaks to us, one-on-one. Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus, you need eternal life. 
All this rule-keeping religion, everything that you've learned, that's great, Nicodemus. But you need eternal life. And I'm the Savior of the world. He's going to go on and explain to him how that happens, how God's Spirit moves. In verse 8, what's the role of the Holy Spirit? The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. Any of you hear the wind blowing this morning? That storm blew through? Yeah. Where's that come from? Who's behind it? It's a mystery, isn't it? And uh, meteorologists can try to explain it, but here he's talking about using an illustration of the mystery of the, the movement of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it's going. And so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And that's where we need to pray that God's Spirit would move. That's why we need to ask God to be, give us receptive hearts so His Spirit can move in our hearts. That's why we need to pray for others, that God's Spirit would move because it's a sovereign act of God when He moves and gives eternal life to us. So the role of the Spirit, He explains that to Nicodemus. And so what's Nicodemus saying here? Verse 9, he says, how can these things be? We get to the real root of the problem here. Jesus answers and said to him, Are you, again, here we see, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, truly, here it is a third time. Nicodemus, truly, truly, and he's saying to us as well, I say to you, we speak that which we know and bear witness of that which we've seen, and you do not receive our witness If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? He's saying, Nicodemus, you see a progression here. Verse 10, you don't understand. Verse 11, you don't receive our witness. Talked about he didn't receive the witness, John's witness, John the Baptist's witness in chapter 1. You don't understand. You don't receive our witness. You, the Jews, have rejected us. Verse 12, you don't believe then how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And then he goes on and gives an illustration in verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. What's he saying there? Well, even the prophets, they would have visions of what God is doing, but no one has ascended into heaven and been able to come back down and explain the things of God. Jesus descended. God became a man to, again, exegete and explain the things of God. He who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. That's Christ's mission statement, Luke 19.10. Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the servant, he gives an illustration here. As Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What's that about? Well, in Numbers, you read that the children of Israel, you know, they had a tendency, like some of us, to groan and complain and whine. Well, they were complaining against God. God had enough of it. He disciplined them, brought about these fiery serpents. They were biting the people. Many died. Moses took a serpent, lifted it up on a stick, and do you know what saved the people? All they had to do, they couldn't do any effort or work. All they had to do was look and believe that the power of God rested in their belief and receive forgiveness. And this is an illustration of Christ going to the cross and to be crucified on our behalf. It's an illustration 
that again, we can't work our way there. We must simply see and receive and believe Jesus Christ and receive his free gift of eternal life. So that's the problem. We're dead in our sins. We need eternal life. So who is the solution? Verse 15 and 16. A lot of times we read 16 and look at how 15 and 16 flow together. That whoever believes, I mentioned 98 times John talks about belief. Whoever believes may in him, who's he talking about? In Christ. Whoever believes in Christ may have eternal life. Now we see the connection. Whoever believes in him, in Christ, may have eternal life. Verse 16, 4, it's a conjunction gar, it's causal. For this cause, now we can get to John three sixteen. For this cause, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God's love. God loves the world, but we can put our own name in there. God loves Brad. He loves Jordan. He loves each and every one of us. God is love. God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us, Paul wrote in Romans 5, 8. We also see in 1 John, we come to know and believe the love which God has for us. God is love. God is the very definition of love. Willing to sacrifice his own son on our behalf so that we can enter into a relationship with a holy God through our sins being atoned for by the work of another. Jesus Christ took our place, died on the cross for us. This is the purpose of John's gospel. At the very end we read, these things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, or could be translated by believing, you may have life in his name. Again, we're born dead in our sins. Through Christ, we can have eternal life. John wants us to know this. Not just that God loves the world, but that he loves each and every one of us. But we must respond by faith and believe and trust in the person of Jesus Christ to receive his free gift of salvation and experience eternal life. It's the Greek word zoe, zoology, study of life. 36 times in John. John eleven twenty five. 25, I am the resurrection and the life. This is Jesus speaking. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. John 14, 6, Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 1 John 5, John writes, the witness is this, that God has given us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He who has the Son has a life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. So what happened to Nicodemus? You ever wonder that? We have this great illustration here of Nicodemus in this dialogue. What happens to him? Look over at chapter 7, verse 50. Chapter 7, verse 50. 
Nicodemus said to them, and you may go, well, maybe Nicodemus is a common name. Maybe, you know, is this the same guy? Well, in chapter 50, John wants us to know he who came to him before being one of them. He became one of them. He became a follower of Jesus Christ. He believed. He trusted in Christ. And he defends the gospel and defends Christ here in John chapter 7. Look over at John chapter 19, the end of the, towards the end of the book. Jesus has been crucified and they're burying his body. In chapter 19, verse 38, Joseph of Arimathea had, had taken his body. Verse 39, and Nicodemus came also, who had first come to him by night, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 100 pounds of weight. A lot of times we don't see what happens to an individual that Christ has a, a dialogue with, but here we see that Nicodemus did believe, he did trust in the person of Jesus Christ. So an application here, as we wrap this up, believe in Jesus Christ. Trust in him. Uh, we're going to have communion in just a moment, so I'd ask the men if you would go to the back and prepare for sharing communion together. Believe in Jesus Christ. Second, pray for those who don't know Jesus Christ, especially with the holidays will be around in people, will be around individuals who don't know Jesus Christ. And be bold in sharing God's love. I want to share with you something very personal that happened to me and happened to my family three weeks ago. Uh, I asked you to pray for me as I share this. My father's health is failing. He is, uh, my parents live in Missouri. Uh, my dad turns 83 this month. And a few weeks ago, I got a call and my mom said, you, you better fly up and see, see your dad. And so we booked a plane flight right away and uh, I flew up. And a little bit of my dad's background, I mean, I really didn't know where my dad was spiritually. Great dad. Loved my dad. Taught me to work hard on the farm. He's a very private person. Uh, maybe some of you have some family members that you just, you're just not sure. And as I became aware of my dad's health and the frailty of his health and realizing that he may not have long to live, I've prayed and prayed that God would give me an opportunity to talk to him about Jesus Christ, to talk to him about eternal life so that he could know and I could know his eternity is secure. So I flew up there and God has an amazing way of working. Even on the flight up there, he placed a man next to me on the flight who uh, is sitting here this morning who um, we talked about the spiritual things and I told him where I was going and he told me to be praying for me and God was already working and you know how hard it is to talk to family members sometimes? You know what I mean? That's the way it was with me and my dad. I'd been up there in September, and I wanted to talk to him, and I just chickened out. And I'd been praying for an opportunity. It didn't come. So this time, I said, God, my prayer was, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So I get up there, go to the doctor. The doctor... Uh, meets with us and said, Bob, there's really not a lot we can do. Your heart's only pumping at 25%. Uh, don't know how long you have. Um, so we came home 
And my dad was concerned, rightly so, worried. Uh, we spent the day together. Next morning, I thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some breakfast. So I made some scrambled eggs. I was making scrambled eggs. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. Everyone who believes. I need to talk to my dad. But, you know, I feel this sweat drop, you know. I'm just, <laughs> have breakfast. After breakfast, we're sitting at the table talking about the farm and things. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation. Everyone who believes. Hey, Dad, can we go in the living room? Can we talk? Yeah. So I wheeled him into the living room, and uh, I said, Dad, I just want to talk to you about your relationship with God. And he said, you're not going to thump the Bible on me, are you? And I said, Dad, no. Um, you know, we talked to the doctor yesterday, and we don't know how long you have, and I understand you're worried. And, Dad, uh, you got a gate open. You left a gate open. Well, if you grow up on a farm, you know that's the cardinal sin, to leave a gate open. He said, what? What gate? There's no gate. I said, Dad, you got a gate in your life that's wide open, and Satan is just coming in, and he's attacking you, and he's, he's uh, discouraging you, and he's creating all this doubt and all this confusion and all this worry. And I just felt the Lord guiding me to Philippians 4. I said, Dad, God's word says be anxious for nothing. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which is beyond all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. I said, Dad, that's how you close the gate. It's through the hope we have in Christ. So I just went on. I shared the gospel with him about how we can know that we have eternal life. And about that time, the phone rang. I went, oh, no, distraction. But my mom got up and went into the living room to answer the phone. And it was God working because it gave me some, just some one-on-one time with my dad. I said, Dad, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? He said, yes. I said, Dad, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins? He said, yes. I said, do you believe that you're a sinner and you need salvation. He said, oh, yes. He said, Dad, do you believe that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead and he defeated sin and death? He said, yes. I said, Dad, will you receive his free gift of salvation? He said, well, I've worked hard all my life, and you know the farm. I said, Dad, you can own every acre in Jasper County. And by the way, he gave me permission to share this story I'm sharing with you. He said, you could own, that's not what this is about. We can't work our way there. Dad, thank you for working hard. Thank you for teaching me to work hard. But this is a matter of receiving his free gift of eternal life. Dad, would you receive God's gift to you by grace or saved through faith? It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest anyone would boast. He said, I reckon so. Dad, it's amazing. He who has a son has a life. He who doesn't have the son doesn't have a life. John said, these things I've written to those of you who believe in the name of Son of God so that you can know that you have eternal life. So we prayed. And I said, Dad, you know that you have eternal life now. And he promised he will never leave you or forsake you. Praise God. My dad has eternal life. 
And when I said goodbye, I didn't know if I'd see him again. But I said, I'll see you, Dad. Because I know I'll, see, I'll be with him throughout eternity. Men, would you come forward? Pass out the elements. And as they're passing this out, as we bow in prayer, if you're here this morning and you have never received God's free gift of eternal life, let this be the day of salvation for you. Trust in the person of Jesus Christ. For God so loved you that he gave his unique, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And for those of us who know Jesus Christ, think now of a family member or a friend who needs to know the love of God. Would you pray for them? And would you pray for courage and boldness to talk to them over the holidays? And while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples. He said, take, eat, this is my body. When he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them all, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Oh, Lord, we love you, and we just thank you for the time we've shared together this morning. I want to thank you so much for this season but Lord just remind us all this season where Christ was born was was the beginning and that he would ultimately live a life and disciple some men and perform miracles attesting to the reality of that he is fully God fully man He would have real conversations with real individuals like Nicodemus. And Lord, you have real conversations with us. And you desire for each of us to know that we have eternal life through your Son. As Christ's own words said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming and dying being our sacrifice thank you for eternal life through forgiveness of sins being adopted into your family thank you for the miracle of your birth but also the miracle of rebirth when we were born again thank you for the work you did in my dad's life we pray for family members and loved ones and friends who don't know you Lord let us be bold to share your love. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed.